0: Good morning. So good to see you this morning midway. It's been a wonderful year for me at Freed Hardman, but it's great to be back. I really enjoy you much more than being up in Tennessee alone. Um, So it has been wonderful. I've learned a lot this year. I'm so thankful that I get to work here in the summer. I want to go ahead and turn to Acts, the 21st chapter. We're going to read one verse to start off this sermon. Acts the 21st chapter, and we're just going to read just one single verse in this sermon. You can't really outline a sermon with this verse. You can't really do much with this verse. But I want to notice something, just one thing, in verse 8 of Acts 21. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him. They're making their way through and doing what good disciples do. Good Christians preach the gospel. They're always preaching the gospel. And every chance they get, they're going to teach people about Jesus the Christ. But in this verse, I just want to look at the name of Philip. Philip. We've grown up studying about Philip and we were studying this year in my Acts class and I really enjoyed the way they gave Philip the name, The Evangelist. I want to think about this real quick. Philip's been given this name, The Evangelist, in this verse. And I want us to think this morning, I'm going to ask the question, would I be able to take those two words, the evangelist, behind, out from behind Philip's name and put it behind your name and not be a liar? Would I be able to point out someone in the audience this morning and say, Connor, the evangelist. Would I be a liar? Mark, the evangelist. Would I be lying if I were able to say that? I want to tell you a true story, and then we'll get into the lesson. There's a boy leaving the church building with his girlfriend, and he opens up the door for his girlfriend. She gets in the car, and he goes around to get in the driver's side, and they're backing out of the parking lot, and he notices that she is very silent. And the reason that he suspects that she's silent while they were at Wednesday night Bible study, the preacher was extending the invitation and like many preachers do, many that should do, they extend the invitation and they say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You repent of your sins, confess that Jesus is Lord and be baptized for the remission of sins. And it didn't sit well with the girl. Uh, She'd never heard that before. And so she's been silent walking out of the vehicle and she's silent as they're pulling out and driving around the parking lot. They're going down the hill and the boy notices what's wrong and he figures what it is. And he asks the question, Are you okay? And she says, Does your church believe that you have to be baptized in water For the remission of your sins in order to be saved. And the young boy has his Bible right next to him. It's sitting on the cup holders in the vehicle. And he picks up his Bible and he hands it to the girl in his passenger seat. And he says, listen, don't take my word for it. Just listen to what Peter says in Acts, the second chapter. And so she goes through the entire chapter and the boy gives her context of the chapter. This is the first gospel sermon and it's a great lesson and Peter is preaching the apostle on the day of Pentecost. And he's preaching to people who were not saved. Preaching to Jews, the same Jews that lightly killed the Son of God. And he says in 36, this is the Jesus, this Jesus God has made him both Lord and Christ. And they cry out in 37, what shall we do? In 38, she reads silently. And she begins to cry. And then the boy asks, what's wrong? And this is what she said. I've never read that before. And I've never heard that preached from a pulpit. And I feel like I've been lied to and sold something my entire life. That was wrong. We're going to study Philip the Evangelist today. We're going to spend time in Acts the 8th chapter, Acts the 7th and the 6th chapter. But we're going to go ahead and begin. I believe it's the number 2, right Larry? Is it the number 2 right here? Or 1 there? There we go. We're going to start out with this first point. We're going to go to Acts chapter 7. And if you remember what happens in Acts, the 7th chapter, it's Stephen. Stephen is a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. And this man goes before... Uh, some Jewish uh, high priests and some chiefs of priests, and and he's preaching the gospel, and he preaches a very long sermon. And to summarize the entire end of the sermon, he tells those same people, "You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart, you killed the Son of God," and they kill him because he told them that. And it's amazing that we see in this passage, Stephen was a man who was chosen in Acts the sixth chapter. To serve tables also with Philip the Evangelist, and so they probably knew each other very well, and at the end of Acts the seventh chapter, stephen 's dead. and we keep looking through the passage. we go to Acts the eighth chapter after, and it says Saul approved of his execution. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And you've got to ask the question, can it get any worse? Hearing the screams of men and women being dragged out of their houses and being committed to prison just because they're Christians. And then the death of Stephen. And then we look at verse 5 of Acts the 8th chapter. And it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And probably one of the worst moments. A city of screaming, terrified people because they're about to end their lives. The evangelist Philip was brave And an evangelist never quits. He went far and beyond. Not only did his friend die, but he's hearing people being drugged out of their houses. But yet, the first thing that he does is he goes and preaches some more. Today, an evangelist goes to a house and tries to set up an in-home Bible study and the door slammed in his face. An evangelist tries to teach the true plan of salvation to some soul and the evangelist is told that they are a lunatic for believing what they believe. And an evangelist tries to study Jesus' precious words today with possibly even a mother or a father or a relative. And they lose that relationship with their relative because they were trying to simply teach them the truth. Philip the evangelist was a man who never quit even when it hurt. And today, to be a good evangelist, we have to be able to keep going even when it hurts and even when it's painful. The next thing that we can learn is that an evangelist tells everyone about Jesus If you look in Acts, the 8th chapter, and we read again verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Do you remember in John, the 4th chapter, what was happening? Remember the woman at the well? Where was she from? She was from Samaria, wasn't she? In verse 9 of John, the 4th chapter, she says this to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, speak to me, A woman of Samaria. And then there's some parentheses right after that, and it says this, For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I find it interesting that not only Philip was was tough and that he never quit, but also he preached to everyone and he wasn't judgmental about it. He didn't look and see, well, those Samaritans, those are, those are nasty, dirty people. And I'm not going there. He didn't say that and he didn't think that. He went straight there and he proclaimed to them the good news of Christ. Today, don't we have people that say, Oh, that person, they wouldn't be a good candidate for a Bible study. I just don't think it would sit well with them. Or, we should probably not talk to that person and let's leave them alone so someone else could come and teach them. Do we do that? We may not say it sometimes, but is it possible that we might do that from time to time? Philip didn't do that. Philip the Evangelist didn't because... He knew that the blood gushing out of Jesus on the cross was for those people in Samaria also. Regardless of what people thought about him. There will be people that look like good candidates. There will be people that look like bad candidates. But the gospel is still going to go to both of them. No matter what. Next thing that we can learn... Philip, An evangelist guides those who need to be guided. We look in Acts, the 8th chapter. Y'all remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It's going to be the heading of, of the chapter, of verse 26, actually. It starts in 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. We're going to stop right there real quick. I want you to notice how far this man is coming. It says that he's coming back from worshipping in Jerusalem and he's an Ethiopian. As the crow flies from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, it's 1,539 miles. I read up on some things and I studied over it and I figured out it could have taken him several weeks and even possibly up to three months to get to Jerusalem and then possibly three months back. He's a eunuch from Ethiopia, and he's going to worship God. It's possible that he was a Gentile being a God-fearing man. He did not submit over to the Jewish uh, rituals of becoming a proselyte, uh, a Gentile converted to Judaism, but he was a God-fearer and, and he kept some of the commandments of God. And here he is, coming back from Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that he's alone, but he may have had someone with him. But he's coming back from a long journey in a desert. A God-fearing man who's trying to please God. And I want you to notice verse 30 and 31. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I? Unless someone guides me. A man who's trying to please God, and the implication of his question is, I don't even know what I'm reading. Because no one has ever guided me on it. Isn't it true that there are so many people in the world today and so many people even in our community that are trying to please God? They're God-fearing people and they would go lengths to obey God. Whatever the Bible says, they would want to do it. They're good people. God-fearing people. But yet no one has guided them to the true church and the true plan that our Lord wants them to obey. Who's going to guide them? Who's going to teach them how to obey God the way He wants them to? An evangelist guides those who need to be guided. And next of all, an evangelist must be wise. If we keep reading, in verse 32 it says, Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading, that's the Ethiopian, he was reading this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? He asked a question. And that question demands an answer, doesn't it? Notice what Philip says to him. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He was able to answer his question. When the eunuch asked, Who is this man? Philip gave him the answer. He knew his stuff. He knew the scriptures. He studied. He spent time in this. He knew exactly what he was reading when he heard the eunuch reading it Isaiah the prophet. I know what that is. I've read it all my life. An evangelist must be wise. Turn with me to Acts, the sixth chapter, really quick. Acts, chapter six, and we'll start in verse one. but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now listen to verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. He was a wise man. He studied. He knew the Scriptures, and he was ready to teach. We hear a lot of times people say, well, I would evangelize and I would teach people about Jesus, but I don't know how to go about doing that. And that's a valid excuse. It it really is. Because one needs to know how to navigate through the Scriptures and be wise to give an answer for the hope that is in us. We have to teach each other how to answer questions and how to show and guide people through the Scriptures to Christ. An evangelist must be wise. An evangelist's message is not distracted. If you notice back in Acts, the 8th chapter, in verse 35, we'll read it again. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this Scripture... He told him the good news about Jesus. And I want you to notice, he could have gone a different way with this question. He could have gone a different way with answering his question. The eunuch asked, is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? And notice how Philip just straightway went straight into it and said, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Notice he didn't say, well, let me, the, let me tell you the reason why It's not the prophet Isaiah. Let me tell you the reason why all the religious organizations at this time, all the different belief systems in the Jewish law, uh, let me tell you the reason why they believe what they believe. Let me tell you why you're wrong in believing why Isaiah was talking about himself. He didn't take the time to talk about everything that the prophet wasn't talking about. He just simply told the man what the scripture meant. Today, when we teach others and we study with people, it's not about the different denominations in the world. We don't have to talk about that. We don't have to talk about how wrong somebody is. And we don't have to talk about all the different belief systems and all the different philosophies of the religious world today. Let's talk about the Bible. It's the greatest weapon to use and the greatest tool. And let's just see what the Lord says about the matter. And let's obey Him. That way we don't have to talk about two different things. Let's talk about one. And let's study the scriptures together. That's exactly what Philip did. And it was effective in his teaching. An evangelist can't preach Jesus without preaching water. Notice in verse 35, all the Bible says is that Philip preached unto him Jesus. And that's all it said which means that anything that follows was within that lesson, was within that study that they had. Notice after, after everything uh, had been taught to the eunuch and, and he was ready uh, to obey the Lord, it says that, that, that Philip asked him, Do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God? And he says, Yes, I do. And notice in verse 36, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, nothing prevented him from being baptized. Nobody at all. He was able to do that and obey God. But here's the question. How did the eunuch know that he was supposed to be baptized. According to the passage, Philip said nothing about it, right? But an evangelist can't preach Jesus without preaching water. It was within his message to the eunuch. And it was the Lord's will, Jesus Christ's will, that he obeys him in that fashion. Remember Mark sixteen sixteen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not will be condemned. That's just what the Lord wanted him to do. And that itself was effective. I want us to go back in Acts chapter 8 just a little bit and and show how Philip came to this man. I think it's amazing how I can read through a passage and we can study it all of our lives and never see something. But can we go back to verse 29? And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked do you understand what you're reading notice the urgency it meant so much to Philip he ran to the man he didn't walk he didn't call he didn't say stop he took off running And that means so much to me, and I hope it means so much to you. It truly shows the attitude and the heart of an evangelist. I wanted to make some illustration at the end. I attended a beautiful funeral this past week, and it was amazing. I'm sure the family was so blessed. Um, to be there and to have such support and love uh, throughout it all. And I attended there, I sat down, we sang so many beautiful songs and heard a great, great eulogy from great godly men. And there was a woman there that means the world to me. And there was another man there that means the world to me. But they're not members of the Lord's church. And so, after the funeral was over, I walked over to them and I told them how much I love them. And I gave them a hug. And for that moment, I thought to myself, man, I wish I could be with you in heaven one day. I really do. And that means the world to me. In Luke, the 15th chapter, I'd have to ask Mark about it. But I don't know of any other passage where God is personified as running in the Scriptures. But when the prodigal son was coming home, his father saw him from afar off and he had compassion on him. And when he saw him coming forth, the father felt that compassion and he began to run. And he ran straight to his boy and he hugged him And he kissed him. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that we run to the lost because God's attitude to a lost person coming home is one that runs to that person and embraces them. If you're not a Christian this morning, We're thankful that you've come here. But we'll be honest with you. We would love for you to be our brother or sister. We would love for you to be a part of the family that we're a part of. Having believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting of those sins, and turning to God, and living a life much better than any life you could think of. Confessing the precious name of Jesus Christ, to be the Son of God, Lord of all, and being baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins, just as Peter taught, and then living a faithful life with us, and then spending eternity with us. That would be great. Please come forward now as we...